And I am joined every Thursday by my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz. Welcome, Celeste. How are you doing today? Hey, Jeff. <laughs> so you were just listening to uh, Let's Talk uh, with John Kane. We love listening to John as we're headed into the studio. And then coming up after our show, you have to stay with WBAI because then you've got the evening news with Paul DiRienzo. So please stay with us. So a lot is going on on a uh, city, state, and national level. I mean, that's why we enjoy this show, because we get to talk about politics and policy. Obviously, one of the uh, big news developments in the last few hours Celeste is incredibly excited about is that uh, there's now going to be a job opening at the White House. <laughs> yes, actually, there is. So for uh, those of you who are looking to move up into the uh, the higher echelons of government, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the press secretary, will be departing the administration after three and a half years. The president has uh, just sent out a couple of tweets, and I think he's making some comments right now, but praising her for her work as press secretary and uh, saying even that he hopes that she will uh, return to her home state of Arkansas and run for governor, which, as you will recall, is the, the uh, job her father had Governor Mike Huckabee, also one-time presidential contender, and uh, somebody else had mentioned, just for context, that the last time she held a daily press briefing was 94 days ago. Wow, it's it has been quite some time. So I believe uh, James, we have our first guest on the line. Great, and we're going to get to our first guest in just a few moments. But as I noted, we're talking about what's going on up in Albany today. We're talking about what's going on in New York City. We just touched on a little of what's going on nationally. Uh, but uh, upstate, uh, the legislative session is nearing its conclusion next uh, Wednesday, I believe, the 19th. It's supposed to be over. So even right before our show today, I was watching Senator Brad Hoylman testify regarding his uh, legislation that he's sponsored, which would then uh, wipe out the uh, ability to have a religious exemption uh, from vaccinations. Right. Especially considering the measles outbreak. That's what people are talking about right now up in Albany. So a uh, pretty intense debate up there, whether this is an issue of protecting everybody in the public or whether it's an issue of infringing on people's individual uh, religious rights uh, and uh, their ability to make decisions for themselves and their families. Yeah, there's a lot going on upstate. So after we speak to uh, New York State Senator John Liu, who we're going to introduce in just a moment, we're then going to have New York City Council Member Ben Kalos talking about what's going on on a city level. And then in our second half hour, we will be taking your call. Calls, and that number, write this down, is 212-209-2877. Again, that's 212-209-2877. So uh, let's go to our first guest. Okay, great. Oh, I thought we were going to say something about uh, the WBAI Buddy oh, Program. Oh, we are going to talk about the BAI Buddies throughout the show, uh, but we'll come right back to that. Okay, perfect. So uh, we are going to move right along here. And our first guest today here on Driving Forces is New York State Senator John Liu. Uh, he represents a broad swath of Northeast Queens. He is uh, on the uh, Senate's uh, New York City Education Committee. He's chairman there. And he's on a bunch of committees that we care about a lot, education, finance, transportation. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator Liu was the 43rd Comptroller of New York City. And before that, he was a member of the City Council. That's when I first met him when he was representing his home neighborhood of Flushing. So, Senator Liu, a pleasure to welcome you to Driving Forces. Celeste, great to be on BAI. Good, good. Well, thanks for having us. I've, you have so many titles. I'm going to screw up at some point and say <laughs> councilman. Or By the way, if, if anybody's interested, because you mentioned this before, 
people can see a live debate going on right now between Senator Hoylman and some people who are questioning the uh, the vaccination bill. Well, give NY us a sense. Dot GOV. Give us a give us a sense. Of, give us like the play by play here. So what what is actually going on? I can't there? give you the play by play because I'm in here with you right now. <laughs> no, I know, but, but you were, uh, and you, were in there, you were in there before, right? I mean, you've heard some of the yes, debate. Yes, and, and and you know, look, uh, it's it's somewhat controversial. And I think you encapsulated the arguments pretty well before. It's, you know, is this going to infringe upon religious freedoms, or is it really more of a public health concern that we're addressing? And uh, my opinion is that it's more the latter, which is why we're taking this bill up and, and most likely vote, passing it in the next uh, few minutes or so. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of action going on in the in the last few there is. the few days. In addition to this, and I was watching that right until I walked into the studio, and it was something I wanted to, you know, and it's over uh, here, the show. I'm going to go back and see if it's still going on. But uh, education, especially, you know, in the last few days, I think there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal that both, there were a number of education issues that were uh, being addressed or that advocates were pushing for. For instance, what is going on with charter schools right now this week? Nothing. Nothing. There are, some people have called for an increase in the number of charter schools avail, uh, allowable in the state of New York or even within the city of New York. Others talked about shifting some charters from one entity to another. Uh, there, it's not. It's not on the agenda as of now for the remainder of the session. So, and and the other issue that uh, I'm sure you would like to weigh in and would be involving the specialized high school admissions test because you had attended Bronx High School of Science. What do you feel about what Mayor de Blasio has been uh, pushing for with this test? Absolutely going down the wrong path. This, this has been a controversy not for a few days or a few months, but a few decades. And there have been people who oppose the idea of a single test admission standard for these uh, three specialized high schools. And there are people who say, well, that the test is not the problem, it's actually a symptom of a larger problem. Uh, the de Blasio administration last year and continuing uh, to this very moment has been pushing a plan that would eliminate the, what's called the SHSAT, that's the admissions test for the specialized high schools, in favor of a plan that essentially picks the top 7% of every middle school across the city of New York. Uh, lots of problems with that, but uh, even before we get to the merits or possibly lack thereof of that plan, uh, the way the city announced it and went about this was, was I, I believe, entirely discriminatory, and therefore it cannot be used as a starting point. In the Senate, uh, I've been talking with many of my colleagues. We've also held a series of community forums to do exactly what the city failed to do last year, which is to allow everybody to voice their opinion, ideas, suggestions on uh, what, the, what the problem may be, what, if any, solutions are necessary, and what uh, a plan going forward could look like. And I thought I had read, and, and Senator, please correct me if I'm wrong, I thought I had read that the mayor was hosting some type of event with a number of Asian American organizations to be able to talk about this possibly today. <laughs> yes. I, or, no, I think it was last night. And I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm happy to see the mayor finally recognizing that he has some Asian American constituents and finally reaching out to some of these organizations to see 
uh, what their input is. As I started talking about before, last year, uh, the city, you know, didn't talk to any Asian Americans about their plan to eliminate the SHSAT. And uh, it wasn't an accidental omission. It was a deliberate exclusion uh, on the basis of race, on the basis, on the fact that there, these people are Asian Americans, knowing what the feedback generally would be. Well, that's that's interesting, Senator. I want to stay on that for just a moment um, because I think Asian Americans have a are in a particular position almost when it comes to uh, questions about uh, specialized high schools, college admissions, and so on. And maybe you can talk about this a little bit. You yourself, obviously, having gone to uh, one of these specialized schools, Bronx Science. Um, I think sometimes. Uh, Asian Americans get stuck in what's called this sort of model minority myth where people assume that that they are sort of super performing and uh, that they really can't be treated as quote unquote minorities in the same way that other people can. But this has also led to stuff like quota systems and, and uh, qualified Asian American kids being limited in terms of of how well they can do in the application process just because of who they are. What are, what are your, some of your thoughts? I feel on like that? I should just let you continue. So <laughs> no, I'm like legitimately. <laughs> I'm really happy that you, you brought up this issue because this, the, the model minority myth has been a problem that Asian Americans have been contending with for quite some time now. And, you know, as somebody who dealt with this issue in my college and younger days, I find it extremely disturbing that I have to address it uh, well into my years now, uh, especially when uh, the way the city and the mayor framed the specialized high school admissions debate last year was to, to essentially invoke the, the model minority myth, talk about how all Asian families are, are rich and spending lots of money on these test prep programs, therefore gaming the system, getting an unfair advantage. I mean, that was the way the, the discussion was framed. And that, that kind of framing plus the deliberate exclusion has really, really upset, if not outright offended, Asian Americans all throughout the city. And so, uh, so this issue has become much larger than just a school or education issue. This is really an issue about basic rights, inclusion, and empowerment. And I think going forward, we need to have a discussion because there are, there are, there's not a single Asian American in the city that I, who I know that doesn't agree that the results of the SHSAT are absolutely unacceptable. This year, seven out of 900 incoming students to Stuyvesant High School being African American. The dis disagreement is how we address the issue, how we address the problem. Is the problem the test, or is the problem the lack of quality education, specifically gifted and talented schools for black and brown communities, or other kinds of issues that we need to address? But the way to figure out a solution going forward to fix this problem, because again, the results of this test are a problem, is by engaging everybody, especially a community that has a humongous stake in the specialized high schools and education in general, Asian Americans. 
Well, absolutely. And by the way, if you're just joining us, we are talking to State Senator John Liu, uh, represents Queens. We are talking about admissions to specialized high schools, Asian Americans, and the model minority myth. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM. Jeff Simmons. In and addition, and, and one more comment about the model minority yeah. myth. Yeah. The, the model minority myth has always been viewed very negatively by Asian Americans because not only does it portray our community in, in, in an incorrect or inaccurate manner, but it, it pits us against other communities of color. And that's exactly what the city has done in this case. It has made this issue so divisive, and I'm not going to mince words here, it's created a rift between the Asian American and African American communities. It didn't. It never needed to be so. But on the other hand, I believe that this is a problem that we can come together, bring the communities together, and actually formulate a solution that's sustainable going forward. Well, that's that's one thing I wanted to ask you about as well. If we could just stay on this for one more second, because as you're formulating this solution, whatever it may be. There are people who feel that the system is unfair now, and there are certainly going to be during any transitional period. There's often this sense, uh, sometimes on both sides, that somebody's getting shafted, that deserving people are not getting into the schools or they're not getting the treatment they deserve, but that people who have been traditionally left out or feel like they have been underserved uh, will continue feeling that way. So I'm just wondering, how do you, how do you navigate that? I have no doubt then when that when people are given the chance to to come together, discuss the problem, air their differences, that in the end we come up with a with with a product that won't make one hundred percent of the people happy, but will make the vast majority of all sides happy and 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 therefore sustainable going into the future. The, the, the mayor's plan as it currently exists, even if it was somehow rammed through the legislature and enacted it will be the cause of strife, racial strife, for years to come. It'll be a dark cloud hanging over the school system for many years, and that's just not sustainable. So another piece of legislation that uh, had an uncertain fate from what I had read was the Driver's License and Privacy Act, the so-called green light bill that had passed the Assembly, but the fate in the Senate was uncertain. What developments have there been, if any, today? Well, as a supporter of the bill, I was happy to see that it passed the Assembly, and I know that uh, we are certainly talking about the bill in the Senate. I feel optimistic. I, I think people understand the need for this. Uh, I have been talking about how you know the DMV is not an agency known for uh, being highly efficient. Uh, we have lots of complaints about it. I think it should just stick to its core mission of determining who's capable of driving a car and making sure that people have adequate insurance. They don't need to get into all sorts of enforcing all sorts of federal and other types of laws. Keep their mission simple and let them do their job. And, and the other thing is that we want, we want all New Yorkers to have the same kind of opportunities to drive a vehicle. It's just such a basic part of everyday life. And additionally, I see this as a public safety measure because the reality is that people who drive for work, they have to make a living. And if you don't allow them to drive legally, well, you know what? They still have to, to feed their kids. 
and support their families. So they're going to do so, but outside the confines of the law, and that's not a good situation for anybody. So I've been making the case, as well as our sponsor, Senator Louis Sepulveda, as among other senators who have been making who have been making a very strong case for the passage in the Senate. And you know, at this point, I want to say that I'm optimistic. And how do you feel about the current relationship between the governor? and the Senate on issues that the Senate has been pushing for. You know, I've, I've read a number of articles, you know, recently about friction on different pieces of legislation, but do you feel like you have a, a partner uh, in the governor right now or that there's still considerable, a, a considerable chasm? <laughs> well, you know, I, I'd like to think that we're a partner. We're on the same side. We're all Democrats. We're looking for progressive legislation to move our state forward. Uh, or unfortunately, in some cases, to attach New York up to other states that have been leading on some of these issues, uh, including the Green Light Bill, for example. Um, but the governor is the executive branch. We are the legislative branch. Uh, we are co-equal branches of government. And uh, we're not always going to agree on everything, which is probably what the founding fathers intended in the first place. So he's going to have his priorities. Uh, we're going to have our legislative priorities in both the Senate as well as the Assembly. And at the end of the day, I think that we'll, we'll come to terms on some level, and hopefully it will be on many of the issues that, uh, that affect New Yorkers. I think the governor has, uh, has wisely uh, agreed to pass, uh, to sign legislation that we are going to pass to extend and expand rent regulations and tenant protections. This is a this is a big issue in the state of New York. Uh, I believe that we're going to pass landmark and far-reaching legislation that will, instead of having sunset provisions that really cause unnecessarily grief and, and tension, uh, we're going to pass tenant protections that don't expire, and that we will, uh, after decades, stop the decontrol or uh, the removal of apartment units from rent regulation. We have, an ex we have an emergency housing shortage. That's what's going on right now. The, that emergency housing shortage, as defined by very low vacancy rates, has been going on for quite some time, in part due to the population expansion here in New York. And so we need these protections for tenants, because New York, unlike other American cities, we are, we're a city that's we're a city that's two-thirds tenant, as opposed to the typical one-third tenant, and uh, we want people to stay, and we we need to have a we need to have stable communities in New York. Do you think there's any possibility that the governor might be a little bit distracted from some of these issues? Obviously, he's been working on some other projects, like helping Joe Biden raise money to become, <laughs> you know, the Democratic nominee for president. Even our own mayor here is uh, trying to be the next president. Okay, uh, I'm not going to say anything about that for now, but okay. I think the governor is uh, is capable of multitasking. And, and on the issue of uh, rent regulation and tenant protections, uh, he's repeatedly said that he will sign anything the legislature sends him. Uh, I believe we are just about to send him legislation tomorrow, and uh, I, I think we can you know, take his word at it that he will sign that legislation. 
So, uh, Senator, criminal justice reform here in the county where you and I live in Queens uh, has been a significant issue uh, uh, amid the Queens district attorney's race. Tell me a little about, you know, from your perspective, how this race is panning out and what you think we're going to see in less than two weeks on the, on the 25th. Well, we have a wide field of candidates, uh, some very experienced in politics, some relative newcomers. I think we have, we have choices, even within a Democratic primary. Uh, the choice is, I think, not so much about ideology, because I don't see that much daylight between the ideology of, of the different candidates. They, uh, for the most part, except maybe for one, uh, they all claim to be progressive. They have progressive platforms. They are looking to reform the criminal, statute, uh, criminal justice statutes. Uh, so the, the question then becomes credibility, uh, past experience, and how they can actually deliver the criminal justice reforms that they all profess to support. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say who I support, but I have made an endorsement just earlier this week. And so... Um, yeah, you can I, say. Okay, I, I support Melinda Katz. I think she... Uh, sure, she's been around, so she's not necessarily a new person, uh, not, 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 not a fresh person as some other candidates say they are, but she has the experience. She has the legal experience. She's an attorney. She's got lots of experience in government and also building bridges across communities. So I think she's going to be a very effective district attorney for Queens and herald us into a new age. I, I think that the Queens DA's office has fell out of step with the times in Queens for quite some time now. Melinda's pledged to bring changes, especially to the executive levels of that office. And I think she will be new blood in that office. And so the, interesting, so uh, coming out in favor, did not did Melinda Katz run for controller the same year you ran, or was that a different cycle? I'm trying to remember who ran. That, that was the same cycle. Same it was cycle. Ten years ago, we have worked on many things together since, and she and I were friends before, and she and I continue to be friends. Okay, great. And <laughs> Thanks, so, Celeste. Well, Thanks for stirring that up. Celeste has a very, very good memory. It astounds me all <laughs> the time. Sad memory, more like. Um, but... Uh, no, I was just, and I was thinking about that. But no, it's great that, that you were able to share that endorsement with us. And uh, I was just talking to Jeff earlier before we came on the uh, program that actually we had a bunch of uh, New York, new New York endorsements being rolled out by the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, uh, Rafael Espinal, Julius Salazar, James Sanders, Phil Steck, Ron Kim, all coming out in favor of Bernie Sanders. So if you want to, if you want to throw down your presidential endorsement right now, that'd be cool too. <laughs> Wow. See, I think we should get on another show for that. How's that? <laughs> okay, Driving Forces is on every Thursday at 5, so we're going to talk to you about that next week. Um, uh, before uh, you know, we wrap up, I do want to go to something. When, you know, when I first got to know you, I believe you were chair of the council's uh, transportation committee. That's uh, right, Jeff. And, and transportation issues have always been close uh, to your heart. How do you think the governor's administration is handling issues regarding the MTA? Well, I, okay, so this is probably going to be a tale of multiple personalities. I mean, the reality is that the MTA is under the governor's control. Sometimes he says he's, he's, he doesn't have control, and other times he exerts extreme control over it. 
the MTA needs help. And to the extent that they've got the governor's full attention, that can only be a good thing because then, then New Yorkers know who to hold accountable. And as we wrap up, we, we should uh, uh, ask you how people can learn more about you and your work. Where should they go? Well, they can always go to the Senate website, Senate, uh, nysenate at gov. I'm sorry, nysenate.gov. Uh, my Twitter handle is at L-I-U-N-E-W-Y-O-R-K, Lou New York. And they can direct message me there or, I guess, public message me. Um, any, it's not hard to get in touch with me. They invented this thing called Google.com. <laughs> Just put my name in there, all sorts of contact, uh, contact manners uh, come up. Senator John Liu, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz and thank me here. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Celeste. Thank you, Senator. So before we get to our next call, here's my public service announcement that Celeste reminded me about that I failed to do before. Both Celeste and I are BAI buddies. Celeste, what does it mean to be a, a BAI buddy? It means pure happiness. You got, well, for you, I know you love the tote bag that you get. I love the tote bag that you get. And I, and I personally like the discounts that you get. Love the discounts. For instance, Museum of the City of New York. That's a good one. Two for one tickets by mm. becoming a BAI buddy. Nice. But wait, there's Our more. Admission. Oh, there's more. But you can get a discount on Zipcar, discounts at restaurant like Bacchus here in Brooklyn. What is a BAI buddy? For me, it's I give a recurring monthly donation. I contribute to BAI, and Celeste and I are volunteers, and we love the station so much that we have become BAI buddies. And it is you can give $5, $10, $20, more if you're able to. Uh, but think about even the cost of a cup of coffee or two each month by just instead giving a recurring donation by being a BAI buddy. Absolutely. And, and where do you go? How do you become a BAI buddy? Okay, this is how you become a BAI buddy. You give this phone number a call, 516-620-3602, or you can just go to WBAI.org and click on Ways to Donate, and you'll find the BAI Buddies program. And it's a recurring donation. You can do as much or as little per month. It gets automatically deducted. You don't have to think about it. And Jeff is right. Think about how much do you spend on coffee? Think about, okay, how much does it cost you to go to the movies? Once, once in a month. For $25 for an entire year, you can become a voting member of WBAI, and you can actually be a participant. You can help make decisions about how this station runs. It's not a lot of money for the 24 hours a day, seven days a week of programming that you get here. Commercial-free, non-corporate, independent radio programming, 516-620-3602. So we're going to bring up our next guest in just a moment. I do want to remind our listeners that after uh, we finish our interview with the councilman, we're opening up the phone lines. This is James, our engineer. This is James's favorite part of every show. Loves His it. fingers go crazy punching all the buttons on the switchboard because I know our listeners want to weigh in on some of the topics that John Liu has talked about, such as the specialized uh, uh, test, uh, that debate, or what the councilman is going to talk with us about now. 
Absolutely. So we do have our next guest here on the line, and we're happy to welcome to the program uh, City Councilman Ben Kalos. He was elected in 2013, and his district includes the Upper East Side of Manhattan, Midtown East, Roosevelt Island, and East Harlem. He is co-chair of the council's Progressive Caucus and the chairman of its Committee on Contracts. He's also a licensed attorney, and among his many accomplishments, uh, one of them is creating the VoterSearch.org program, which protects the right to vote of over 12 million New Yorkers. And he did that when he learned that millions of people had been removed from the voter rolls rather precipitously. So, Councilman, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you, Celeste and Jeff, for having me on, and I can't wait to be a WBAI buddy. I'm excited for all those benefits, and I'll be calling the number as soon as I get off the phone. Okay, so then this interview is going to have to end right now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say this interview is going to be real easy. Oh, no, no. <laughs> we wanted you to call in. Anyway, um, Celeste. <laughs> so, yeah, well, first of all, thank you thank you for your support, and uh, thank you to, to everybody who's out there. hope you guys uh, uh, take a lesson here. We really do appreciate your support. But, um, Councilman, the first thing, we, we want to talk to you about a couple of things. But the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was you wrote a piece recently that ran in The Guardian um, that uh, raised some questions that I think our listeners will definitely be interested in. I saw uh, a lot of activity around it uh, when I mentioned it on Twitter earlier. Uh, You wrote a piece about the use of the weed killer Roundup and chemicals like that in our green spaces right here in New York. And I just wanted to ask you to start out, uh, why should people in New York be concerned? about this I'll be honest I wasn't concerned about it before I got elected and I was in a kindergarten in my district where the kids had learned about pesticides and these precocious kindergartners were actually advocating and lobbying that the city should ban uh, Roundup and glyphosate and other chemical pesticides from our parks and I learned more and more about it in uh, 2015 And by 2016, the World Health Organization said that glyphosate was uh, a probable carcinogen, which meant it could lead to cancer, and that this was actually a serious issue. Uh, Previous work from Councilmember Gianaris found that uh, there were 500 gallons sprayed uh, all over the city, including in Brooklyn's Prospect Park, uh, which has 8 million visitors, and... We had a hearing, and what we heard from the health experts was really scary. It wasn't about having to be exposed to a certain amount. It was actually any amount, and particularly with children. And honestly, if I have a choice between being exposed to carcinogen and cancer or a weed in a park, I would just say bring on the weeds. And what, are, and what are the options, if not this? Because you point out in the article you know, what scientists favor. There's tons of natural pesticides. We actually use uh, natural cleaning products in our home now that we have an infant in our home. And I was actually talking to the sustainability uh, director for the uh, city of Secaucus, Amanda Neshawat, just yesterday. And she was saying that they just use household products, a little bit of Dawn, some vinegar, uh, and that's enough to kill most weeds. And... How extensive is the the use of these kinds of of these kinds of herbicides? And uh, for people who may be listening to this, I'm sure a lot of people have heard something vaguely about Roundup or about uh, you know 
get the sense that it's not great to have a bunch of herbicides or chemicals uh, in the places where you are. But should people be concerned if they have been in parks or public spaces where these chemicals are on the grass and the trees and the, the bushes? As a new parent, I'm concerned. Uh, my my daughter wants to play everywhere. She wants to run around in the grass. And as a new child, anytime she uh, lands on the ground or grabs a blade of grass, she wants to put it in her mouth. And that's absolutely the wrong piece. Even if you don't have a, a, a park with lots of grass, it turns uh, it's on blas- basketball courts where weeds might be coming up in the basketball court. So so it's everywhere in places where you Think, wouldn't think it would be. And so the answer is we should not be spraying uh, toxic pesticides in our parks, and we should be using natural pesticides. And there's a lot of other jurisdictions that already do this, and uh, New York City should be doing it too. And it's interesting. You're talking about having an infant as you're also uh, speaking and having read the story. My mind goes to the fact that I have two pets, so does Celeste, uh, and my guys are always trying to eat grass. And I think about what pesticides they might be ingesting, too. Yes. If, if you are a dog owner in our city and representing the east side, I would say that's almost all of my constituents. You, you don't want pesticides in the parks. And uh, the, the worst part is when they put up the sign, uh, it's so small that you might be letting your uh, love, your your baby, uh, whether it's uh, your infant or your puppy, play in these pesticides and not even know about it because you didn't see the sign. So, where are we now in terms of uh, in terms of addressing this problem and uh, making that change over, maybe to to more natural ways of of controlling weeds and keeping our parks looking good? We have a bill introduced. It's Introduction 1524. I'm hoping that your listeners will call their local council member and ask them to sign on. We need 34 sponsors to get a hearing, and we want to make sure that we fight City Hall and tell them to get rid of these pesticides. I will tell you that the Parks Department is opposing us on this one. You are listening to Driving Forces with me, Jeff Simmons, and my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz, here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, and also streaming live at WBAI.org. And, Councilman, what is the reason that the Parks Department is opposing this? Is it a cost issue or something else? They haven't really given a very good answer, and that's why we're moving forward. If they had a valid answer of why they need to expose our children and our pets to these dangerous chemicals, uh, we might be interested, but so far we really haven't gotten a good answer. Uh, And that's why I'm asking your listeners to call their council members, get this legislation heard, and let's just move forward. I'm I am curious about that, if, especially if they haven't given a particular reason. I think that you know very well, having been in, involved in government oversight and uh, you know operations, those kinds of things, that sometimes these things are wrapped up in contracts. Things go out for uh, you know RFPs go out, and you have somebody who wins a bid to provide the city with equipment or materials. Is there any sort of issue there, possibly that? we have already agreed to buy this stuff or there's some sort of incentive for us to use it as opposed to using anything else? That is a fair point. Uh, one of somebody who has a lot of experience reporting on government, one of the things we have heard from, through the grapevine is that they have just 
so much Roundup sitting in their warehouses that they actually just want to keep using it rather than trying to replace it with uh, safer alternatives. So uh, we were talking with uh, State Senator John Liu about what's been going on upstate. I also understand here uh, in the city you were introducing another piece of legislation today regarding uh, campaign finance. Can you talk a little about that? Today is actually a really good day if uh, you are a renter in the city between what happened in Albany and uh, possibilities around rental protections being renewed. I will say down here in the city, we have a huge election coming up in 2021. Uh, For me, it's actually a nightmare because there's going to be 38 council members, five borough presidents, the controller and the mayor, who are all going to be termed out of office. And in New York City, we do have a public matching system, but there's still a lot of big money where people are giving $5,100, which I think is quite a lot. And I was afraid of what all that big money could buy and who they could elect. Uh, And so one of the things that I did a little bit differently when I ran in 2013 is I didn't take money from real estate. And when I did that, I was mocked and ridiculed to my face, and I don't know what they said behind my back, but everyone said real estate runs this town. And I was offered more money than I could ever imagine from real estate, and I was told I needed to take it if I wanted a future in politics. Now, I chose not to work for real estate, and instead I worked for my community, And I didn't want to let a broken system corrupt me. And today we actually changed the system to support New Yorkers. Uh, And what we passed in the council will allow candidates to run for office. The first 175 or 250 will be matched at 8 to 1. And they will get a full public match of every single dollar they need to run for higher office. And for city council, uh, you can spend $190,000 for mayor. That's $7.2 million, and now 90% of that money will come from the public. So elected officials and candidates don't have to take big money and all the strings that come with it. So that is a very big deal, and then we have more legislation we introduced on top of that. And maybe that's where this question comes in. Hopefully there's a interesting phrasing here. Uh, there's been a description about you trying to do something about, quote-unquote, zombie campaign committees. He just uh, explained to people what, what those are and what that's about. I want to kill all the zombies. Uh, <laughs> and this isn't a reference to Walking Dead, but <laughs> there's these political committees that uh, belong to politicians, and uh, when the politician gets termed out of office, resigns in disgrace, or even dies, these campaign committees live on for years. Uh, Some of them have millions of dollars. Some of them have hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they just sit there. And over the past couple of elections, it's usually been more than $2 million each cycle. And at the same time, you have politicians who build these war chests. And the idea is if you're a politician and you have a lot of money in the bank, people won't run against you. And I think that's bad for democracy. I think we want a democracy where people have elections, where they get challenged, And so my legislation says that if you're running for a city office and you participate in the public finance system, you should have to give all the money back. Uh, And that way it levels the playing field. And honestly, if you're an elected official and you want to keep your job, then do your job. Work hard. And that's the best way to get reelected.
So that's, first of all, I'm sure this is just going to be wildly beloved amongst many of your uh, colleagues here. This is sort of a, a traditional thing to say, have a campaign account for city council and then roll it over, not to run for Congress or run for president, but to run for uh, advocate, controller, mayor, uh, one of these things to run for, aside from running for re-election. Are you saying that you want to see the end of that completely? I do. I don't think elected officials should be spending their time raising money uh, for a war chest and for a higher office. I think they should spend their time doing their job and working for their constituents. So how how in love with you are uh, are all the people who have raised all this money or are giving all this money too? I might add. I, I, I honestly don't feel sympathetic for billionaires and millionaires who've been able to buy and sell politicians. And I don't feel sorry for the politicians that have been bought and sold. Uh, I want my colleagues to work for the residents. And I think the best way for people to run is to run on small dollars, to do their jobs. And when it's time to run for re-election, when it's time to run for higher office, then and only then should they be starting to raise money. So, Councilman, we've got about a minute left, and I happen to notice that you are hosting a town hall tonight on Roosevelt Island uh, at 6 o'clock right after our show. If that's still on, can you just tell our listeners a little about, you know, uh, what if they want to show up, if they're on Roosevelt Island, what, you know, what you're going to talk about, what you, issues you want to talk about? Thanks, thanks for the plug. It's going to be at the Chapel of the Good Shepherd on Main Street on Roosevelt Island. I have about uh, 15,000 constituents who live there, and we're going to be talking about Roosevelt Island issues. Uh, one of the items that came out recently in the press is that 311 uh, is uh, not getting the best types of responses, so residents have a lot of concerns about 311. Responses also making sure that when you call 911 on Roosevelt Island, that they're able to find Roosevelt Island. 911 uses intersections, but Roosevelt Island, if you've never been there, has one road uh, with very few intersections. So that makes it difficult if you're looking for an intersection. So there's a lot of different issues that we're going to be looking at. And uh, if I can, I'd also like to plug we're doing a uh, town hall on overdevelopment later this month, and I hope listeners. Uh, who has anything they want to say back to me can track me down at benkalos.com or they can hit me on social media at benkalos and we're happy to continue this conversation with them uh, later. But I do hope that uh, everyone remembers to sign up to become a WBAI buddy. I know I'll be doing that. Councilman Ben Kalos, it's been a pleasure to have you here with us today on Driving Forces. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So... The councilman just did my next piece of, you know, news. I was going to come right back to BAI, buddies. But as we're, we talk about that, I want to remind our listeners, now's the time to call in. Whether you want to even comment on what uh, the councilman just said about 311, uh, you know, that's but the that first. Was very, that's a very interesting. That's yeah. very disturbing, actually. Not just the 311 part, but the 911 part. Yeah. The idea of of being in an emergency situation and not having sort of traditional intersections uh, to point out to people uh, who are coming to your aid. So the number, if you want to call in about that or about anything else that we've talked about today, 212 209 
209-2877. Jeff and I have run through a bunch of stuff today with our guests. Uh, Senator John Liu and Councilman Ben Kalos, we talked about uh, specialized high schools. We talked about rent laws. We talked about uh, uh, pesticides, excuse me, uh, herbicides and uh, the weed killer roundup, the use of chemicals in our public spaces. I'm sure you guys have a lot of thoughts about all these things. 212-209-2877. Let us know what you think. So uh, we were talking with the senators. We're waiting for folks to call in. We were talking with him a little about the DA's race. And I found the uh, Spectrum News New York 1 debate the other night fascinating Mm. with the candidates. The question came up from Errol Lewis about, do you consider placard abuse? The people are putting placard, you know, placards on their windows. Um, I think placard have, abuse, a crime. Yeah, I'm obsessed about you that. Have you have feelings about placard abuse. And, you know, it's, some of them seem to kind of smile as if it was, you know, funny, and it really wasn't. And that was an issue that, you know, I immediately tweeted some of that video and uh, got a lot of traction on that because people care about it. 212-209-2877 is the number to call, 212-209-2877. And we have somebody on the line. So WBAI, what's your name and where you're from? Yes, this is Diane from the Bronx. Hey, Diane, what's up? Uh, oh, I wanted to put in about that uh, 311 and the issue about trying to find intersection. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my, my sister takes accessoride, uh, and I've just been alerted they used to, when you had to give addresses, you had to give the address and then say these are the cross streets. But now I was told that you don't do that anymore. You just give them, like, you know, the, an address, and you, and you give them the zip code, and they seem to be able to find the, um, you know, the intersections, and they haven't had any problem. So maybe they ought to look into what uh, Accessoride oh. is doing. And that's, I don't usually have as many good things to say about <laughs> That's a lie, but I have to say, it sounds like they're, you know, maybe ahead of something. Excellent. No, really appreciate that, Diane. Thank you for your call. And so uh, if you are listening out there in 311 land or 911 land, apparently, uh, according to Diane from the Bronx, Accessoride has figured out a way to find people with uh, relative ease. So uh, maybe you guys want to check that out again. 212-209-2877. You're listening to Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz. And we have another caller. WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, my name is David. I'm from the Bronx. Hey, David. What's up today? Hi. Well, it's just a very quick and simple question. I want to know why our host is watching Spectrum News New York 1 when IBW has been on strike against them for more than two years. And maybe he could watch a show that's not a scab show. I Well, if I was home, I would have also listened to WNYC. But to be perfectly frank, I worked at New York 1 for six years. Uh, back in, oh, ended in 2002, about six months after September 11th. Uh, so, you know, uh, I know that there are labor concerns. Uh, but I also, when I had worked there, I had a, uh, a very good experience at the time. 
So, uh, yeah, obviously there are there are a couple of different things going on there, but we certainly do appreciate the call. And uh, if you want to give us a call in and talk more about the things that we've been talking about today, I thought I thought that was very interesting. And that was a good point that you brought up, too, about uh, about herbicides like Roundup, because it's not just about people who have children. This is about people who who use our parks uh, for picnicking, for jogging, for uh, reading under a tree, taking naps, uh, walking their dogs. Obviously, that's a big one. Playing sports. Also, this is not limited to people who are sort of lounging around in in Central Park. Although, interestingly, as uh, Councilman Kalis pointed out in his piece for The Guardian, Central Park is one of the major green spaces in our city that is run by a private conservancy. So some of the rules may be different there, but uh, are you concerned? Are you concerned about what is going on in terms of the chemicals that are being used in our public spaces? And what do you think we should do about it? 212 209-2877-212-209-2877. You're listening to Driving Forces right here on WBAI. And the councilman you know, did point out in that piece that you, we don't even know how much uh, glyphosate is used in parks like Central Park and, and mentioned the conservancy. Right, absolutely. So we have another caller on the line. What's your name and where are you from? Yes, my name is Jim. I'm from Williamsburg. Hey, Welcome, Jim. Welcome, Jim. Um, yeah, I heard talking before about this, uh, these new rent guidelines about the rent control, et cetera. Now, I am not a landlord. I have never been one. I have no relatives who are landlords. But it seems to me that if landlords are taking a hit by being restricted in the amount of rent they can charge, that they should be absolutely reimbursed by the government for the, for the loss they are sustaining. I think it is plain and obvious. Well, that's an interesting question. I think that, look, I mean, being a landlord or whether or not uh, you have a good experience with your landlord or, or the person who lives next door to you or across the street from you does, it is a, it is a business. It is a, a necessary service. Uh, it is a big business, a very big business here in New York um, where we do have predominantly uh, renters versus owners. So, yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting point. And uh, how that will end up, I'm not... I'm not quite sure, but we certainly do uh, appreciate you bringing that up. And uh, again, if you are listening, um, lots of stuff that came up today on uh, on today's program of Driving Forces. One of the things I uh, we did mention right at the top of the program, which I thought was interesting, was we had uh, Senator John Liu call in right during the middle of this debate uh, in the state legislature about whether or not people should be required, whether there should be... Uh, a religious exemption for vaccination. And we are talking about this, of course, right around the time of the measles uh, outbreak. There were outbreaks in uh, both Brooklyn in the Williamsburg neighborhood, I believe, also up in Rockland County. And we've talked about that on this show before, but do you think people should be able to get a religious exemption? Should they be able to opt out of having their children vaccinated? Or do you think that is a danger? Would you like your child to go to school with a child that has not been vaccinated? Does that matter to you? Give us a call, 212-209-2877, and that might be whether you are a, a parent, a teacher, an administrator, 
a student, a member of the staff. 212-209-2877. And as this is going on up in Albany, I've been trying to see if the hearing is still going on. Uh, what popped up on my screen is that the New York City Health Department closed down two more schools wow. uh, in Williamsburg for violating the commissioner's order about vaccinations during the uh, measles outbreak. And, no, and the uh, Department of Health notes that there were 588 cases confirmed since the beginning of this in October. So, yeah, that's a serious, serious outbreak. You remember that we had spoken about this also on one of the other programs. I'm trying to remember if it was this one or sometimes uh, I help sit in for Juliana Forlano in our morning program, Waking Up, and we had talked about this, that uh, if the number of measles cases continued to rise, then the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention the uh, in the federal government, might actually have to roll back uh, it's ruling that measles had been er- effectively eradicated in the United States. So this is not just a couple of isolated cases. This is not somebody having traveled to a country where vaccination is not common, getting off a plane and bringing it home. This is something that is happening right here in our own backyard. 212-209-2877. Do you think that there should be a religious exemption for vaccination, including for measles, as we are experiencing an outbreak, or do you think that people should either have to have their children vaccinated or keep them at home and keep them out of school? Is the state doing the right thing? Is the government doing the right thing by closing down these schools? Is that fair? Give us a call, 212-209-2877. So... I'm thinking about, you know, as we're talking about this, just the environment I grew up in and, uh, you know, and how vaccinations were in my school were required, uh, you know, in northern New Jersey, how important that was. And, you know, it's an issue that as a youngster, of course, I didn't think about uh, much. But as an adult, you know, you start to weigh people's amendment rights. Sure. uh, But then you have to put it in the context of you know, what type of harm you might be causing others. Absolutely. And I think that, and look, I I would agree with you that my experience growing up was generally, that was the deal. You had to bring in proof of vaccination. Paper, yeah. Right. Uh, And if you did not bring it, you were not coming into the school. But it looks like something something has really uh, fired people up. We have a lot of people on the line. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you from? I'm, I'm, I'm Elaine calling from Queens. Hi, Elaine. Yes. People are calling in sympathy with landlords. What happens when over the years a landlord put in 12 windows in a building or 14 or 15 windows and charges, raises the rent for all of those tenants and when he has already paid for the windows, he does not bring the rent down. Also, you have private landlords in private homes who are overcharging people $1,000 for a basement in Queens and parts of Brooklyn, $700 for a little box room. Who is going to regulate those? Oh, thank you. That's a that's a very good question. And I think that there are obviously different rules for people who have have. Uh, rental properties in sort of more private single family or two family home settings versus people in large high rises. Of course, you should get proper treatment and you should have a a safe 
living, clean, living environment, uh, no matter where you are, if you are paying for it. Uh, I guess it's hard to say, look, some of these costs are going to get passed on if you live in a uh, a rental building or a co-op building and there's major renovations or major disaster, uh, emergency something goes on, the boiler blows up, the roof starts leaking, sure, you're going to have to bear some of the cost of that. But um, I do agree that there can be some, uh, there, there can be some uh, inequalities in how that is parceled out. And we have a lot of calls coming in. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you from? Uh, is that me? That's you. Hi, my name is Catherine. I'm calling from the Bronx. Hi, Catherine. What's up today? Um, I'm calling about the vaccine issue. Yes. I have done considerable research on this, and you absolutely must have exemptions. Vaccines are not safe by any stretch of the imagination. No one can tell me anything about that because it's never been, there is not one vaccine that has ever been tested with a true placebo. Aluminum is not a placebo. They have done no safety tests. They have done no tests with all these combo vaccines. We had, a, you know, all these measles cases that everybody's quaking in their boots. Uh, I grew up with the measles, okay? I remember the truth. Unless you are severely malnourished, particularly vitamin A deficient, it is basically a fever and a rash which then confers lifelong immunity, which is passed down through the mother's breast milk. And we've, got to, and we've got to cut you off because our show's ending. Thank you so much for calling in to Driving Forces with Celeste Katz and me, Jeff Simmons. Stay tuned for the news with Paul DiRienzo. And look for us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Coming up next on WBAI at the top of the hour, the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo. Laura Flanders of The Laura Flanders Show. 
The Left Forum is right around the corner, and they have generously donated weekend passes to WBAI listener supporters who make a $50 pledge in support of WBAI. I've had the pleasure of hosting many panels and plenaries at the Left Forum over the years, and I'm doing it again this time. I'll be hosting the Saturday plenary on the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and a session with Chris Hedges and Rick Wolf on Lenin. So come meet me, Laura Flanders, and the others at the 2019 Left Forum and be part of a conversation about radically imagining and building a different future. Make a pledge of $50 today and lock in your free weekend pass to the Left Forum, taking place in Brooklyn June 28th through June 30th. That's the 28th through the 30th in Brooklyn. Go to give, then the numeral 2, WBAI.org. That's give to WBAI.org and search Left Forum. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. See you at the Left Forum. The European campaign to colonize the Caribbean was met with stiff resistance from indigenous peoples across the region, especially the Garifunas on St. Vincent. Tune in at midnight to 2 a.m. on Friday, June 14th, when the Garifuna Jazz Ensemble will be in-studio guest of the award-winning Midnight Ravers playing the music and discussing the history and culture of the legendary Garifuna Black Caribs. Again, that's Midnight Ravers, Friday, June 14th, midnight to 2 a.m. for the legendary Garifunas on WBAI in New York, 99.5 FM. The Midnight Ravers, where every show is a special. You're listening to WBAI New York. The time now is 6 o'clock.